Hello, Bible study friends. It's uh, great to be back with you around 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. We're getting into a section uh, this day where Paul will be addressing a very, very specific concern uh, that has been reported to him from the church there in Corinth. So chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 1. And as soon as the text begins, uh, real quickly, you will learn what the problem was that Paul was addressing. 1 Corinthians 5.1 says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Uh, A couple things about that verse. Uh, Notice the phrase sexual immorality. Paul says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. He's he's startled, he's shocked uh, by this report. The word that's translated sexual immorality here is one word in the Greek. It is the word porneia. Uh, You probably recognize that word as it's used in English, uh, pornography, pornographic. The word porneia, which is translated here in this text, sexual morality, uh, is a broad term in Greek for a variety of sexual immoral behavior. Sometimes porneia is uh, simply translated fornication, uh, that particular type of sexual activity outside the bounds and covenant of marriage. But the word porneia is actually broader. Uh, it can refer to uh, several different kinds of sexual immorality. You would need to go back to like the book of Leviticus chapter 18, one of the, one of the examples of the holiness code, to see the different types of sexual immorality that was forbidden in the Jewish law. And Paul here, like Jesus before him, uh, held to Jewish sexual morality. You see the specific instance here is the fact that there is someone here in the church at Corinth, uh, a man who um, has taken his father's wife uh, for his wife or his concubine or his lover. So it's a stepson and stepmother is what is usually assumed here uh, that's happening. And Paul, being a good Jew, says that is absolutely forbidden uh, in the Jewish uh, world of sexual morality. Um, Probably the man's father could have even died, and he has now moved in with his father's wife, his stepmother. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that it's his mother, because it is referred to as his father's wife. So it probably is a relationship between a step uh, stepmom and a stepson. But you notice that Paul is condemning that. He's condemning that sexual relationship. He is condemning the fact that um, they don't seem to be concerned by it. Uh, he's, he's startled. He's shocked that it's being tolerated there in the church. Look at verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Uh, again, part of his shock, Paul's shock, is they seem to be um, very open 
about this existing in the church. This uh, man who's taken his father's wife or stepmother as uh, his lover, and Paul is saying they're arrogant. And remember, that's an issue here in 1 Corinthians throughout in many different places. The people there are very gifted, they're wise, they're smart, they're intelligent. Uh, The Spirit has even gifted them in many ways, and that's led them to be arrogant at times. So here they're not mourning over the existence of this sin in their midst, but they're almost uh, arrogant about it. Uh, You might could say that they're priding themselves over being open-minded and tolerant and non-judgmental, non-judgmental, believing that anything can go. And uh, in our culture today, we can see how that can happen. Some people think that uh, the highest good is to be non-judgmental. The highest good is to be tolerant. Uh, I know um, our denomination one time had a slogan, open doors, um, open hearts, open minds. Uh, that, that can be good, but that also can be bad. I mean, there's some things that should not be accepted or tolerated, much less celebrated, But here it is almost as if they are celebrating this sexual immorality among them. And Paul's saying you shouldn't shouldn't be arrogant about this or proud of this. You should be mourning over the existence of this sin in your midst. And he actually says, let him who has done this be removed from you. So here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you see a discussion that eventually in church history will give way to the concept of excommunication that sometimes um, you have to put someone out of the fellowship. But uh, before I continue to read, and he's going to get into this in a few moments, you need to understand that the concept of putting someone out of the fellowship, the concept of excommunication because of someone's sin, really is not for the purposes of punishment as much as it is for the purposes of redemption. Um, you, you put someone out hoping that, uh, that that will cause them to change. You practice that tough love that might cause them to uh, make amends in their life. Look at verse 3. Paul's going to say some more about this when he's talking about taking this person and putting him out of the church. He says, verse 3, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Uh, So again, Paul's in Ephesus writing this letter back to the church at Corinth. Uh, He knows that the people feel his presence there. They know how he would respond to this, uh, even though they perhaps have tried to forget how he would respond now that he's out of sight and out of mind and he's in a different city. But he says that uh, they they know what his judgment would be on this man in this situation. Verse 4 When you have assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So again, he's saying, put this person out. Deliver this man to Satan. That's what he means um, when... That's what he means by putting this person out. To put this person outside the realm of the church is to turn this man over to the realm of Satan. But um, notice he says, to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh 
so the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What I think Paul means here by the destruction of the flesh is the destruction of this fleshly behavior, uh, the flesh nature. Frequently in Paul's writings, flesh or sarks in the Greek means uh, our nature separate from God, our nature apart from God. So he's saying, put this man out because this might destroy that sin nature in him that's causing him to uh, have sexual relations with his stepmother, that's causing him to be arrogant and boastful of that. And maybe by putting him out, practicing this tough love, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So that's why I said Paul is not uh, focused on punishment here as much as he's focused on redemption. He's saying that putting this person out of the fellowship might cause this person uh, to make amends in his life. Um, so it's, it's, it's more than just ostracism uh, that gets practiced sometimes in some Christ, Christian groups, such as shunning am, among, the, um, among the Amish or the, the, the technical process of excommunication among Roman Catholics. But it's putting someone out of the fellowship, hoping that that would um, awaken the person to change, to make amends. Look at verse 6. He continues, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Uh, throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, leaven or yeast oftentimes is symbolic of sin or evil um, because a little bit of leaven can uh, cause the whole dough, the whole, uh, the whole pack of dough, the whole uh, piece of bread to rise. So a little bit of leaven can have a great deal of influence. So sometimes leaven symbolizes evil or sin. It can be very small, but it can influence the whole loaf of bread. And also here he's beginning to um, uh, make some allusions to Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover. It's going to become clear in this paragraph. He's referencing the Passover, the Jewish Passover from Exodus chapter 12. Uh, and if you remember the Passover, even to this day, the Jewish family, as they prepare for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, they, they cleanse their house of all leaven. Because again, that leaven symbolizes uh, evil or sins. They cleanse their house of all leaven and they have to make unleavened bread. Uh, did not have time to rise as they were making haste in the Exodus. So that's why um, uh, unleavened bread is still used for the Passover Seder meal. So he's beginning to make reference to the Seder meal. That's interesting to me. Jew, Paul, of course, is a good Jew. Uh, even though Corinth is a pagan Greco-Roman city in what we would call Greece today, uh, there was a Jewish presence there. So even these ex-pagans, these uh, Greeks and Romans who'd come into the Christian faith, they would have known enough about the Jewish faith uh, to, to pick up on this reference here. Uh, verse 7 and following, he's going to continue with this idea of um, leaven being a symbol for sin and how leaven somehow can uh, remind us of the power of sin to influence um, a great deal more than you would, would imagine. Verse 7, he says, "...cleanse out the old leaven." that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. And here comes an important theological phrase. Paul says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the, mal the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he is making reference to the Pesach, the Passover meal. 
uh, the Seder meal among Jewish people. And he's saying here that Christ is our Passover lamb. This is the first earliest reference in Christian literature uh, to Christ being the lamb. Uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to Christ being our Passover Lamb. Uh, because as you may recall, the letters of Paul are all older than the Gospels. So this is the first reference to Christ as our Passover Lamb. Christ has been sacrificed, Paul says at this point, that somehow the sacrifice, the death of Christ, um, delivers us, saves us. Uh, then he says something very interesting in verse 8. After he's declared that Christ is our Passover lamb and Christ has been sacrificed, he says, verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival. So I, I can't help but wonder if these early Christians uh, here under the influence of Paul were actually participating in the Passover meal, the Pesach, the Passover meal, the Seder meal, uh, perhaps um, they were continuing to celebrate this festival. Uh, usually, uh, at least in um, recent millennia in Christian tradition, we've taken this passage to refer to Holy Communion. Uh, and sometimes at Holy Communion, we actually say, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, therefore let us celebrate the festival. And it certainly can be applied to uh, our Holy Communion, which is based in some ways on the Jewish Passover feast. Uh, but it also may, may be pointing out here that this early Christian community uh, was keeping that festival. So when Paul says the festival in verse 8, he may really mean the, the Passover festival. There's no evidence in the New Testament, that Paul ever stopped being an observant Jew. This is a large topic, an important topic, a frequently misunderstood topic. Paul is clear that as Gentiles, we don't have to keep the law. But Paul never says that as the Jews who embrace Christ, that somehow they are free from the law. Uh, Paul has a high view of the law. Um, you read that throughout his, um, his letters, his epistles, uh, unless you just read it with the assumption uh, beforehand that he's anti-the law. He has a high view of the law. He just was opposed to anybody making Gentiles become proselytes, converts, full converts to the Jewish faith before uh, they um, could embrace Christianity. Uh, let me take you back, um, at least in your memory, to Acts chapter 15 for a moment. In Acts chapter 15, you've got the account of the Jerusalem Council. That's where the, the church in Jerusalem, our mother church, uh, had to, uh, under the power and the discernment of the Holy Spirit, decide how Jewish do Gentiles have to be in order to embrace this Jewish Messiah who came in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures to fulfill the Jewish law and to fulfill Jewish prophecy. And in that Jerusalem council, and this, this is important, in that Jerusalem council um, that was under um, the leadership of James, that council said that for Gentiles, and I'm Gentile, most of us are Gentiles, this is what we have to maintain from the Jewish faith to be Christian. Uh, he says, and I'm reading in uh, Acts 15, it's actually mentioned a couple times in Acts 15, uh, but here's the list. We should abstain from things polluted by idols. We should abstain from sexual immorality. There's the word pornea again. 
and from what has been strangled and from blood. And that's repeated again in uh, Acts 15. That's, that's what we should abstain from, from sacrifices to idols or idolatry or idol worship. We should abstain from blood. We should abstain from eating meat that has just been strangled but not bled. Um, and we should abstain from sexual immorality, pornea. We should abstain from that which the Jewish faith calls sexually immoral, which of course would take us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what's occurring there with um, a stepson having sexual relations with his stepmom definitely would um, violate the sexual moral code uh, of the Old Testament. So uh, that's just a little aside about the relationship between Judaism and the Jewish law and the Christian faith. So let's, let's finish up this chapter. Uh, beginning at verse 9, he is going to return back to the concept of sexual immorality, uh, that, that, that issue that has elicited what we call chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Paul continues, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Uh, he's referencing a letter here in chapter 5, verse 9. He's referencing a letter, an earlier letter, that he sent to the church at Corinth. We, we do not have that letter. Um, some people think that letter is um, partly, at least, uh, incorporated into what we call 2 Corinthians, uh, but it may just be completely lost. He's referencing this prior letter to what we call 1 Corinthians. So evidently, 1 Corinthians wasn't the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Back to verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. The word porneia, again, a, a broader term for sexual immorality. Uh, verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since they would need to go out of the world. But, I am now, but now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister, if he is guilty or she is guilty of sexual immorality, porneia, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, Paul says? Is it not that those outside the church whom you are to judge. It is not. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. He's quoting the book of Deuteronomy there. Let, let me say what's going on here, what I think is going on here. He is, he is, he is, evidently, he was misunderstood in that prior letter. So he has to say, I did not tell you to not associate with sexually immoral people in the world, I told you to not associate with sexually immoral people who claim the name of Christ, with sexually immoral brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, he's saying here fairly clearly that uh, we are not called to judge the world around us, those outside the faith, but we are called to judge those within the faith. We need to... Um, practice some discipline within the body of Christ. We need to practice uh, a higher ethic within the body of Christ. He's saying we have to associate with sexually immoral people outside the church because if we don't associate with sexually immoral people outside the church, we will not be able to fulfill the great commission 
who will not be able to take Christ to the world. So he's saying we have to associate with sexually immoral people outside the world. But he's saying we have a, a double higher standard for people who claim the name of Christ. And with someone, when someone who claims the name of Christ falls into this sexually immoral behavior, uh, we need to practice tough love with them. He even references here that we should not even eat with each other. Uh, we're not sure if that means um, fellowship meals that were part of the early church or Holy Communion, the Eucharist that was part of the early church. But he is saying we should practice some sort of ostracism, practice some sort of tough love um, uh, to, to help someone come to their senses and to make amends. Uh, this whole concept is so contrary to the spirit of our age in which we live. Uh, again, we live in an age that wants to say, judge no one at any time forever for anything they do. Um, don't pass any sort of judgment on people. Again, he said, don't judge those outside the Christian community. But we have to be, um, we have to be pretty firm on each other inside the Christian community. We are called to a higher standard. We don't want anything to harm our testimony, to harm our witness. Um, we have, we have received the gift of Christ. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we've got, to, we've got the power to live at a, at a higher level. So we've got to hold ourselves to a higher standard than we would the people outside the Christian community because we won't be able to impact, influence, share the gospel with those people outside the Christian community. So this text in so many ways, all of chapter 5, is... Um, very countercultural to our world today. Uh, one of the most basic things you see here is the strong Christian and Jewish conviction that whatever we do affects other people. All of our actions have consequences. Uh, John Donne, that famous uh, English poet, one of the metaphysical poets of the 16th century, uh, who, by the way, was a clergyman in the Church of England, wrote that wonderful uh, sonnet that said, No man is an island. And, you know, John Donne knew that, no man is an island, uh, because of his Christian faith, rooted in the Jewish faith. We are connected. Um, our modern world has somehow bought the understanding that whatever two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home, it doesn't hurt anyone else, so no one should pass judgment on that. Uh, well, obviously, Paul's passing judgment on what these two adults are doing in Corinth, this stepmother and stepson. He's passing judgment on these Christians who are participating in that pornea, in that sexual immorality, because as a good Jew... And as a Christian, Paul knew, as, as we know in our better moments, that we are all connected to each other. All of our actions have consequences. Uh, our life is like a, a, a pebble that's thrown into a pond. There's the ripple effect. Uh, we've bought that um, false teaching in our culture today that, that you know, I can do things that, that have no impact or influence on anyone else. Uh, that's just not the way the human family is wired. We are connected with, with each other. Uh, in, in, in the Jewish Christian concept, sin is rebellion against God, rebellion against the law of God. Sin is first and foremost uh, something we do um, against God, and secondarily is something that we do against our neighbor. But um, when you look at the Jewish and the Christian tradition, um, what we do against our neighbor is far broader 
than people in a very individualistic modern world seem to understand. Um, that's why the rest of the church here in Corinth had to pay attention, had to take notice that there was um, a man having sex with his stepmother uh, here in the church at Corinth, and, and Paul passes judgment on them. In the Christian community, we are held to a higher judgment. So that's a very basic Christian concept that's um, uh, behind uh, this section here where Paul is talking about pornea or, um, or sexual immorality. So um, some interesting stuff here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll have a lot more conversations about this to come. Uh, what he's going to talk about in chapter 6 is Christians here in Corinth who are going to court bringing lawsuits against each other. And he's going to have a problem with that. He's going to have a problem Christians going to the world around them uh, to settle their disputes. Uh, but we will see that um, We'll see that next week. So again, thank you for sharing this time of Bible study with me. It, it blesses my soul. It's an encouragement to me, even though I'm, I'm talking in an uh, empty chapel. Uh, I, I picture you there in front of me, and, and I hope that um, your time with me, our time together, is an encouragement to you. And thank you again for your uh, commitment to serious, in-depth Bible study. Um, I, I would love to hear from you if you are part of uh, our podcast audience now. And um, I don't get to see you during this uh, season of COVID face-to-face, like I'm hoping we can return to before long, since I don't get to see you face-to-face. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Drop me an email, uh, jpatterson at wessonmemorial.org. Uh, you can go to our church website, but I'd love to hear from you. And just uh, uh, let us encourage one another in these strange days in which we find ourselves. So next week we will continue with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. God bless you.